Hello and welcome back to Lost in the Long Boxes. I'm Ryan. I'm Joshua. And I'm Steve. And on this episode, we are going to be taking a look at the Age of Apocalypse. Dun dun dun! One of my favorite storylines ever. Yeah, it's it's a brilliant storyline. But uh, yeah, Steve, do it, man. Tell us about it. So this this storyline, I have to say, it is probably top two storylines ever for uh, for for comics for me. Um, and I think it's the combination of this like dystopian uh, X-Men at its best, the fact that it's no holds barred, anyone can die at any time. And then I have to say the, uh, uh, the art on this is just amazing. Some of these unorthodox frames and everything uh, just, I don't know, it kind of encapsulates what it is to be, uh, 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 to be X-Men and, and everything. It just, uh, uh, it really brings it home for me and everything. But uh, I think um, one of the biggest things about the Age of Apocalypse uh, is new dynamics. And what I mean by that is uh, uh, villains can be heroes, heroes can be villains. And, uh, and you're, you feel like you're just being thrown in this world, but you don't feel lost. They... they they do the storyline, I think, are, are real good credit. They throw you right in, and they do a great ta- job in uh, in storytelling where they they catch you up to speed really quick. Um, I don't know. I just think that this uh, this comic, um, whoever organized it, uh, just did such an incredible uh, uh, incredible job. So. The uh, X Men, uh, the X Men Alpha and Omega uh, began and ended this thing, and it it, uh, it kind of whole all started with Legion. Uh, the X Men, uh, the X Men episodes earlier were just basically showing Legion who wanting to do justice to his uh, to his father's legacy, his father being Charles Xavier decided he was going to kill Magneto and uh, for to kind of end all of the things Magneto would bring about uh, once and for all. He just, you know, he went back in time and decided, I'm going to go kill Magneto when, uh, when Charles and, and, uh, and Eric Lenshear were just, uh, were just good friends. What starts happening that basically spirals out of control here is that Xavier sacrifices himself. He throws himself in front of that lethal blast and takes the killing blow uh, for Magneto. And Magneto is, uh, he is just so struck uh, by Charles's uh, sacrifice he dedicates his life to uh, to the vision of Charles Xavier to bring about uh, basically peace with uh, with mutants and humankind, and um, and he decides to basically take uh, take Charles Xavier's place uh, now that he uh, he has died. So you know it it. it 
it brings it right down. You, you get this juxtaposition of all the people that Magneto inspired, you know, uh, and, and all the ones that he introduced, for instance, you know, you have Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch, uh, you have the, um, uh, you have Exodus in there and everything you have, uh, Sabretooth, uh, in there is a good guy. Uh, and, and, uh, it's just, they did such a great job. So Magneto brings a, a whole bunch of mutants in there, uh, to, uh, to really flesh out the group and make it truly different. And it's kind of, uh, where X-Men alpha, uh, really, uh, uh, really gets going yeah it's a world without xavier what would the the world of humanity and mutants and genetics and technology where would it go without xavier and 10 years after the demise of charles xavier at the hands of his own son um apocalypse you know moves forward and takes control and there's no one to stand in his way. And uh, one of the things that you said, it's it's a group of, you know, these rebel mutants fighting apocalypse that are that are brought together by Magneto, not Xavier. And one of the really, you know, like you tapped upon one of the really, really cool things is uh, you get to really play with these characters. And what I love is is they're it's it's clear that they are are they're taught by Magneto. So they have this, this darkness, this fatalism uh, to them. They don't have that hopefulness that Xavier brought to the table. You know, this, this all of us together. It's a pure world of survival. And any light that, that can be brought will be brought out by Magneto. And what a, what a firm character he is and what a strong character he is and his drive inspires. And we can talk more of how his effect on different characters. I'm, I'm super excited to get into all the wildness of like the change of the characters. It's uh, it's, it's pretty yeah. wild, but um, I am basically a spectator everyone for this episode as we established uh, last time. I don't know much about this stuff because I'm not the Marvel guy in the groups in case you're wondering why I'm saying next to nothing for most of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun though, right? Ryan being able to, to jump in and like, you know, go and read things that, you know, oh, with, sure. with fresh eyes. So you're bringing kind of that new reader, fresh eyes to the table. Well, and- you know, I'll, I'll tell you guys real quick. My uh, my takeaway from, uh, you know, watching a series of uh, video documentaries that kind of summarize Age of Apocalypse, reading some scattered Age of Apocalypse to support your previous statement. Absolutely. It's a world where everything went wrong. And only grittiness and almost like bitterness will see you through the day because it's that harsh and cruel a world. But it's not done in some, you know, cheesy way. You know, like a Spider-Man ran where they just wanted to see if they could do Dark Knight Returns with Spider-Man. Right. And it's like absurd. Yeah. It's not like that. It, it feels like a very organic. And having read the uh, the buildup to Age of Apocalypse, you know, the setup for it, which I thought was great because it really harkens back kind of to the old, you know, yellow and black costume X-Men from the old days, only with this, like you were saying, kind of like bitter cynicism, you know, yeah. thrown in there as well. Well, it yeah. was the, it, 
if you look at it, it was the peak of Marvel's power of of the X Men power in the mid '90s, because you know Jim Lee Marvel kind of rebooted X Men X Men One, and like in 1990, and that's when I started reading the very first like I, I go into a comic book shop, I'm looking around, and I'm like, what should I read? And the guy's like, X Men number one, it just came out today, and I picked it up, and I was hooked. Yep. Here were these, you know, and I guess, you know, as we go, we can speak to what what draws us to the X-Men. What is it about the X-Men that draws us in? You know, they're outcasts, you know, they're outcasts from society. You know, that way back when, when yeah. you know, Stanley brought them about, they were um, to a parallel mirror to uh, the civil rights movement. Right. Um, and it was a brilliantly done, you know, people fearing something that they don't understand, right. you know. And they had they create an interesting juxtaposition with the rest of the heroes of the Marvel universe, which is kind of hard to understand. It's because everyone fears being replaced by something new, something that they can't quantify. Yeah. The omega level mutant, you know. Um, well, they, they yeah. have to ask themselves, uh, not to cut you off, but just real quick. I think they have to ask themselves whether them and their status quo and their lifestyle fits into whatever this new thing is, this new possible uh, order or change. We see it. We see it in society right now, you know, in the news and everything. People, there's a lot, people just can't, they often have a hard time adjusting to anything that challenges their, once again, like status quo, their like way. People want to wake up every morning and have things basically be like they were yesterday. Right. Long story short. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And here comes this guy, you know, shooting lasers out of his eyes and you know, a yeah. guy who could, you know, with wings coming out of his back and man who can control and potentially, you know, control the, the, all the nuclear weapons of the earth with just his mind is, is existentially terrifying. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's the kind of the world of the X-Men and in the early 90s, here we are with this new team and Jim Lee's bringing all this new energy and there's all this merchandising and, and energy behind it. And as a young kid, I'm just totally blown away, by these, blown away by these characters, particularly Wolverine, I think, you know, as a young man, he's the man. Of course, Scott Summers, too, yeah. having his, his little tryst with Psylocke and, and uh, Jean Grey, you know, ubiquitous yeah, red Gambit was always of all one of our my dreams. favorites. Gambit, too, yeah. you know. His love story yeah. with Rogue is a powerful love story. Here's is, this playboy right. who yeah. can't have this woman, but yet he has a romance and a love with her, um, even though they can't do anything physical about it. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I loved how they handled that in the old uh, 90s X-Men cartoon. Also, that is most of my oh, knowledge base when it comes to X-Men, because once again, not the Marvel guy, but I loved that show so much. And the way they explored these characters in a show that is like fundamentally designed for, you know, 10 through 12 year olds. Yeah. It's just like way, I mean, like I was a fairly smart kid. I could figure it out, but I can, I can just imagine like your average kid, you know, coming in to watch cartoons and seeing these like really, really elaborate concepts being explored through these dynamically complex characters, you know? Yeah. And that, that theme song. The theme song. Yeah. I was just going to say that. Yes. Yeah. That it's one of the more powerful theme songs. The hair on my arms. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. it still raises the hair on my arms. Yes. It's almost like yeah. it's actually uh, the same way. I'm not going to get into Batman, but the same way. And yes, Josh, you can plug the trailer. Give me a second. 
It's it's a lot like Batman the Animated Series that also had a cool intro. They had the symphony music as the lightning bolt behind him looking out over Gotham. If you get if you all watch that on oh, the noir, oh, that was it's yeah. such a staple of my childhood. Yeah, you know, I was really lucky to to grow up in the '90s with like you know X Men, yeah. but but Batman that was the gold standard. The Batman animated series was the gold standard. Yeah. You know, Mark Hamill's Joker. Oh yeah, and Harlequin. Yeah. And just it was just it was gorgeous. But we're talking X-Men. <laughs> if you want to plug the trailer, you can. I know you want to. Oh, well, you know, just so people know how current this is, like, you know, the right, DC right. fandom just dropped right. the, you know, the Matt Reeves Batman teaser trailer. And I was on the fence of whether this might be good, but it looks really good. And we'll have to wait and see. Now I love that. He... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say I love that. Uh, um that this Batman seems a, a bit out of control, doesn't have the self-control that, uh, that you know, the, the best detective uh, in the world really uh, should have. And it, it makes it a more dark and gritty look. And I, I'm, I'm psyched about the movie. Well, they actually based it on year one, which I think from the trailer, it looks like they did a really good job depicting Batman year one. Frank Miller's. Is, yeah, is exactly that. He's yeah. inexperienced and, Anyway, we'll get into this stuff in, our, in a Batman episode, I'm sure. <laughs> so anyways, back to the 90s. So all of a sudden before, you know, well, even before that, like we had Days of Future Past, which was the first glimpse into an alternate universe, you know, which I think was the precursor to Age of Apocalypse. Right, right, right. Um, I remember going back after my, you know, in the X-Men classics and reading it and just having my mind blown. What was that, Steve? Yeah, the Days of Future Past really, um, I think, also linked to Hickman's uh, series, just really colored and set the tone for his series, which we'll be doing that uh, uh, next. So uh, both of these, I think it had such an influence on both of these series, the Days of Future Past. Yeah, I'm so excited that Hickman has control of the Marvel Universe. He's such a phenomenal uh, world builder. Ooh, Jonathan Hickman. Mm, that man does something to me, I tell you. All right, I think we should probably get back to... <laughs> yeah, yeah, so now. Age of Apocalypse. Gosh, yeah, here we go, here we go. All right, so 1990, X-Men number one comes out and, uh, you know, sets the stage for a lot of these characters. Um, and then 92, Bishop, a man from the future, uh, comes and he claims that there's a traitor in the midst and it, perhaps it's Gambit. And so it, it creates some intrigue and, you know, 92 also brought a strife, which is like, you know, cables and executioner song and all that, right. all those wonderful characters. Um, and then of course, you know, in 1993, yeah. you know, Wolverine's adamantium is pulled from his bones, bone claws, you yeah. know? Yeah. From by Magneto. Yeah. Bone claws. And it was just mind blowing. I'm, I'm 10 years old or nine years old. And it's just, it's too much. Uh, then we get the phalanx. And that was right after the, uh, and that was a hugely, hugely promoted event. I had the comic. Yeah. It was the uh, marriage of, you know, uh, Scott Summers and Jean Grey. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that like was all right thrown in the mix. The bone cloth yeah, thing. that was a very yeah. popular yeah. comic. Yeah, it was all great. All these events yeah. were just like, bam, 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 major, you know. Yeah. One after another. And yeah, they were like a cult, they were like the 90210 of geeks, you know. Yeah, yeah. X-Men. And there were so many titles, too. So many offshoot titles. And then, of course, Legion yeah. kills Xavier. And then here comes Age of Apocalypse. Right. I'm 11 years old. And 
all of a sudden my this 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 stabilizing force of X-Men is gone. And I don't know that it's coming back. And it was funny, I was doing a little research. The the um when when Scott Lobdell kind of threw out the idea of Age of Apocalypse, he nobody, none of the writers, editors, anyone, they didn't know that they were gonna go back to like, you know, the run of the mill status quo. Oh, that's they, right. Yeah. They kept yeah. it open that that potentially it was gonna stay in Age of Apocalypse. So there was an unknown vibrancy you know i think that ran through it just inspired a really fantastic story and scott labdell just said here's the premise you know run with the characters and do what you're going to do and um it was just it just blew my mind wide open one of the things that i think captured uh, uh captured me for this is i have always been a magneto fan you mentioned you know, Wolverine uh, uh, and Magneto, where he just pulls that adamantite right out. And that was huge for me. I remember that was just one of my favorite comics up up to the time. Mm-hmm. And Magneto, when presented in the Age of Apocalypse, I would say this is the this is the best he's ever looked. It's the best he's ever felt as a character. I mean, the badass, long braided hair uh, out uh, out of his helm he had the big neck piece with the bolts on it and the billowing cloak all around him i mean he i think that is the most badass that magneto uh has ever looked and it it, that i think was one of the really the biggest selling points to me i i wanted to see more of this version of magneto i wanted this to be the real magneto it's it uh, it was just such a cool. And, and can we agree? Can we all three of us here agree? And you viewers or listeners rather at home that he really set the standard that would become the 90s standard of the more badass, the bigger the shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. That, that's hard to argue with. Yeah. And also, like, you look at that first panel yep. of Apocalypse and in, uh, in X Men Alpha, um, like, Apocalypse's shoulders go on forever. Or panels, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like it's issues just like, long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> issues run. It took two pages to to, to cover his shoulders. <laughs> it's like a Dragon Ball Z season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous, like yeah. And you know, Steve, you mentioned like the long hair, and I imagine they had so much fun. The writers and and pencilers to be like, let's let's like do all the nineties like everything we can to change the characters visually. And I think you know you know, people are listening to the show. So maybe if they haven't read it, maybe a little visual background is like kind of cool. Um, imagine all your favorite heroes and then kind of turn them on their heads. Their most darkest primal selves. They got face tattoos. If their hair was long in the regular runs, their hair is short. If their hair was short, their hair is long. Cyclops has long flowing hair, actually a Cyclops cause he's missing an eye, but we can get into some of the more, the character details as we go physically impossible uh, proportions yes yes yeah. yeah so let's jump into x-men alpha the actual <laughs> book but okay so yes xavier's killed by legion we're met with uh um what's his name oh wow we can go back in a uh, bishop team effort yeah xavier's killed by legion that we're met uh at the beginning of this book by uh bishop climbing 
you know, all this, this rubble of bones and chaos and like a, a Holocaust situation. And, uh, and we're met with the, the gravitas of this world, a world without Xavier where apocalypse is just annihilated North America. And to set the stage, um, uh, apocalypse has all of the Americas. They're his, him and his horsemen have divvied it up. Um, there's a sentinel, a resistance in Europe. Um, India has been wiped off the map. Um, parts of Africa have been wiped off the map. Uh, there's a rumor that there is a secret haven that's um, in the in Antarctica, which is the Savage Lands. Or they call it Avalon in this, um, which you know Excalibur kind of gets into that story. Yeah, line, wasn't Avalon is... also the name of the? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, the space station that. Uh... Right. Yeah, 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 the Magneto space station. Yes, yeah. the yep, that Magneto yeah. had Ma- and, uh, Exodus yep. there. Yeah, yeah, nice cut there. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. I so my moments. Yeah, so we meet Magneto <laughs> and these rogue X Men show up to help save Bishop, and it turns out that Rogue and Magneto are a couple. How can <laughs> they do? <laughs> How can they do that? They're, you know, he has like a biomagnetic shield. So we can actually touch her. And they have a child together as well, which is just mind-blowing. Um, but again, there's an arc of the Savage Land where Rogue and Magneto have a thing. So they picked up that storyline. If I may, I like that Gambit, who can also manipulate electricity. In fact, he can manipulate a wider spectrum than Magneto. Doesn't have the wherewithal to put a shield around himself to get it on with his girl. It's almost like the writers kind of just threw any sort of consistency to the wind because they really wanted to see what it would look like if Magneto was with Rogue. <laughs> you know what it really is? Gambit has a micro penis. Oh, yeah. Micro penis Gambit. Oh, sacrilege. <laughs> I should be cut down for that. Yeah, Rogue made up the story for years. No, I, I can't touch him. My power right. keeps me from it. <laughs> the liner notes of the story. That's micro penis. Right. So, you know, then they, they skip ahead and, you know, they're, they're jumping all over the place. Uh, beast is, has become this like dark beast and he's a mad genetic scientist. And um, he's hanging out with some forearm thing called the, the sweet man or candy man or the sugar man, the sugar man. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's a part of that, you know? Yeah. And the sugar man really plays uh yeah, plays a role in uh, Generation Next. Which is, I, I, I hope we get to because that's some of the best art of the series. Because some of the art is really spotty throughout the yep. series. And I think that's yeah, yeah. indicative of the 90s. It was more about the storytelling. I think, like, when you look at Hickman in, like, current comics, um, it's about atmosphere. Right. And, like, really catching yep. uh, visually the, the the gravitas of the, the intense storylines. Like they were all over the place in the '90s and giving everyone a shot, you know, because um, it was it was just more comic booky, you right. know. Um, so yeah, you have Beast, who's this mad geneticist. Yep. You have Cyclops and Havoc, who are raised by Sinister, who are like the bad guys, you know. Of course, Cyclops has a disillusionment moment throughout his run and whatnot. Um, then they skip ahead to the Four Horsemen. It's you know, you get introduced to Apocalypse. He's this you know, hulking all in it, you know, he's the world leader, you know, he's, he's about to take over the entire world and destroy all humanity. And like, we thought he was a fanatic before, um, or a genetic purist, but 
He's just gone off the deep end. He's completely insane. And if you've only seen the movie Age of Apocalypse, don't confuse that creature that's depicted in, in that movie with what we're describing to you here. There's a far darker world, a far darker apocalypse, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and everyone's darker, yeah. you know? But not, but weirdly enough, Sinister is kind of a, like a lighter shade of Sinister. It's so. Well, he's it's the so agent of chaos, weird. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and then they have Abyss and Mikhail, uh, who's brought back the dead to be, you know, he's the, the dead brother of Colossus. Um, so he's a, a, and then Holocaust, which is a new character who played, he's this ominous, all powerful, you know, destructive force. Like his name is Holocaust. So I think he embodies kind of like the dangers in this world. He has to wear like a suit to contain his power. Right. right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. Holocaust. Um, I, I want to say, I want to say he appeared in early, uh, in early X-Men. He looked almost like an Aztec statue. If I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, I mean, I'm talking almost teens of, uh, of the first, uh, first X-Men. I, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, I believe he was basically a nothing character in early X-Men that was really made badass. I mean, they explained in some of the backstories on him that he's basically like a contained nuclear explosion within that suit, that the suit is almost there to just contain and focus uh, the explosive power that uh, that's him. And I think that's what really makes him the 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 most powerful of the four horsemen of apocalypse there so he was by far my favorite sorry steve i just wanted to let you know that uh the internet is telling me that his first appearance was in february of 1995 in x-men alpha oh well there you go all right wow he's maybe he's an amalgamation of different characters um but yeah, he actually he brought yeah. Sunfire, which was like a kind of a one-off, um, and you know, giant X-Men. He was like this Japanese, you know, aristocrat, you know, who didn't really play a factor very much after you know a few issues of uh, the second run of X-Men. Um, but in this, he comes back and he's this really sympathetic, like troubled character, and his whole world was blown up by Holocaust. Um, so it's interesting to bring dead characters or dismiss characters and have them be kind of the heart of the story. In an amazing X-Men, um, he is the heart of that story. Um, so then we jump at the next panel. Yeah, and I, I go ahead. I was going to say the uh, so one of my favorite pairings that we get introduced uh, is Sabretooth and Wild Beautiful. Child. Um, so Sabretooth was always this savage, bloodthirsty, uh, uh, just villain. And in the age of apocalypse, it's like, he's allowed to, he's, he's able to indulge that bloodlust and everything in killing all of apocalypse's, uh, uh, men and, 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 and trying to, uh, to fight beside the X-Men. He's allowed to let loose. And then you've got Wild Child, who was a nobody character from Alpha Flight. Uh, and, uh, and you know, I think he stands kind of beside Puck as one of those characters that didn't really... 
I don't know. They didn't really leave an impression on, uh, uh, I think, on the Marvel Universe. But I tell you, I got a new love for uh, for Wild Child from this uh, from the Age of Apocalypse. The pairing of um, of Sabretooth and Wild Child it was perfect, yeah. and I don't know whose idea that was, but uh, it was brilliant. And it was this, like you said. Here's Sabretooth, who's built for this world, you know, but yet within all of that violence, he becomes like the Wolverine mentor to Wild Child and also to Blink. Blink becomes yep. his shadow cat or his Jubilee, yes. you know, yep. and uh, you just have a more complex yep, absolutely. Sabretooth and he's such a he's such a great uh, character. And it's one of those things you're like, wow, I don't want to see this character disappear. But luckily... Exiles is an offshoot of this to where we get Sabretooth, Wild Child, Blink, and Morph um, also. And again, like Blink is a new character that's just that's invented for this world. Um, she made an appearance in an X-Men movie. Uh, um, and, but Morph, Morph was invented in the animated series and then killed in the animated series. So here's this cross-pollinating between the animated universe where they brought us morph into into this universe for a little comic relief um in that in the very dark world um so yeah i mean love that run like amazing x-men and how it's uh written and it's uh, uh scott labdell and uh dialogues by mark wade and the pencils by roger cruz with uh coloring by steve epting and uh and that also that that's also carrying on from X-Men alpha. Um, and this is Scott Libdell's like brainchild, essentially this book. But anyways, I digress. Next panel, we see Logan and Jean gray and they're together. They're like a couple uh -oh. fucking making out and dark shadows and shit. And, you know, being assholes to the human high council and whatnot. <laughs> and he's giving her the bone club, giving her the bone. <laughs> Yep. Um, and so it's like this, this like, all right, we're getting the things that we've always wanted. But yet something's a little amiss there. You know, Jean Grey is still aloof like she was with Cyclops. So you can tell there's always something like she, Jean Grey is always wanting a little something more. You know, she's not fully getting everything that she needs. Um, and then it's revealed that Logan is missing a hand. Oh, yeah, that's right. And as an 11 year old who was obsessed with Wolverine, yeah. I, it just like, it almost broke me. It almost broke my mind that Wolverine was missing a hand, you yeah. know? I know what a great dynamic. Yeah. Like I had a little action figure Wolverine yeah. and I cut the hand off the action figure because I was like, well, it's never going back. This is the new reality. <laughs> so I'm going to cut the hand off the action figure. Then of course they bring the, you know, the regular series back and I'm like, Oh shit, I just cut the hand off my fucking action figure. God damn it. But so for, for those of you listening, <laughs> what happened was, you know, he was standing in his bathroom mirror, eyes glazed over, uh, listening to like, you know, Elliot Smith or something <laughs> shaking, holding the Wolverine action figure and just slowly snapped off the hand mascara running down my face. Like it what like that was a metaphor for his heart breaking. <laughs> I wept in a pile of my own feces for <laughs> hours and hours. Yeah, dark, dark nineties right there. And then I started listening to corn. So 
<laughs> and his pants got a whole lot baggier. Oh, man. Thank you, adult depends. <laughs> you know, and then, of course, if you think this this comic can't really get any weirder or darker or stranger, um, all of a sudden there's this crystalline entity that seems to be swallowing up the universe moving towards oh, that. Good. Yeah. Oh. And then cut to black. And that is X-Men Alpha. That's their introduction to this world. And I wanted to die at his 11 year old, but yet I, I, it was like the stimulating thing. It really like stirred all these things in me. It's just like, okay, there's this darkness in me. That's going to be like contained within these panels, you know, and I get to exercise and see that. So again, that was really fun. Like that's one of the beauties of like, you know, lost going, being lost in long backs and going back and looking at this stuff and reading this stuff again to see it through my long adult backs. eyes, long backs, the long backs lost in the long backs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I like it. That's our new name. Yeah. New name. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, it's a completely disillusioned world, you know? And uh, so, and, and uh, I think, Touching on the the whole uh, uh, the whole issue around Wolverine's hand being missing, it's one of those things they don't they don't show that in the comic. They don't show that what show what happened to Wolverine's uh, hand, but they through the story you just kind of get this glimpse through their storytelling of uh, you know this this un unshown epic battle between Wolverine and Cyclops where Wolverine takes out Cyclops's eye and, uh, and Cyclops takes, uh, takes off Wolverine's hand. And it's, uh, it's really cool. You, it, it's the story you want to hear. I mean, even if we just have one more comic done of the age of apocalypse, that's the story I want. Yeah. I want to see that right? fight. Because the tension between those two characters yeah. building for years and then to have it culminate in this epic fight where they both lose something big, you know. Then, of course, it's revealed yeah. later on in the, the Weapon X, which Wolverine title turned to Weapon X, and it's his him and Jean Grey's journey. Um, you know, Wolverine, you know, he's all burnt up. He, does, he can't use one hand, and all of a sudden, he pops his claws through the missing hand well which you which blows your mind because you think like okay you know cyclops blew off his hand stub claw stub claw so you gotta figure the the claws are gone with it too no he had them (laughs) retracted so they they uh they threw a little something extra at us there um but that's a great run yeah it's just like it's a really dark wolverine i don't think wolverine really he there's nothing redeemable about his character um in that um but again, like juxtaposed, you have Sabretooth, who is the redeeming Wolverine character. He's the yeah, he's the Wolverine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I just I, I love it. Yeah. I wanted to to jump in and get uh, get Josh's opinion here on Generation Next. That was that was strangely my favorite sub series that wasn't um, uh, you know that wasn't the core storyline. I felt that that was probably the darkest story of of all of them, and I loved the ending. I just wanted to get uh, get your take on that. Oh too. man! So what's wild is that when I was eleven, I was collecting a bunch of X titles, 
Um, but Generation X wasn't one of those titles. So I wasn't getting the Generation Next storyline. Um, so I didn't read that as kids. Same with Excalibur. I wasn't reading that. So I got to go back and yep. read Generation Next now as an adult. And I'm thinking, man, this is really dark. I wonder what my 11-year-old mind would have been able to do with this, you know? Um, which going back and reading yep. these titles, it was such a such a joy to add a new fold in reading this for me into the age of apocalypse lore personal lore because i mean um it i think it's written by scott labdell but the but the art by chris bocciolo is just it's brilliant i love it It has scope and has cartoonishness and the colors are so vibrant um what Jim Wellingham, who was famous for fables, did the the coloring of this. Oh, nice! And yeah, he did a really fantastic job. It's such a dark story, and it's like so. Yeah, just Colossus and Kitty Pride, and who are they are? They are they're like the team leaders, uh, but the story is focused not around them, but around the main characters of Generation X. Um, and yeah, it's they go. You know, they introduce Sugarman. And um, and they they have to go deep inside the earth to like save um, what is it? Klaus's sister, magic. She's not magic though. In this, she's a younger. Yes, yeah, Ileana there and stuff. And you know they're going into the the Seattle core, uh, the power core for the Age of Apocalypse. Please tell me that the Mole Man makes an appearance. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, Steve. No oh, Mole Man. No Mole Man. No, so nope. it's just a, it's this like apocalypse <laughs> now descent into madness mm-hmm. uh, in Generation X, and it's like yeah. it's beautifully drawn, and there's hints of, of of hopefulness, but it's like it's really dark and hopeful. And you ask like the last panel, and it's just like you sh- you see Husk, who's being overwhelmed by mutants, um, and Colossus trying to reach back for her, and you just see in her eyes like you betrayed us. And we all died because of your short sightedness. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, a little backstory on on the whole thing is Magneto came to Colossus and Kitty Pride and said, "You need to go and it, it's rumored that your sister's still alive. You need to go and save her. It's an it's a mission impossible, but you need to go and bring her because she might be our only way of uh, of saving this world." Um, so of course Colossus, you know, under the guise of like I need to, you know, save the world, his whole thing is I have to save my sister at any cost, and he does. He sacrifices, you know, th- these uh, these mutants that was like his his kids, you know, who they look up to him, and he just dismissed them, and uh, it's only in the last panel that you see his consciousness come through, um, and it's it's fucking dark, it's really dark. So yeah, it kind of blew my mind. It is. It's by far the darkest one. Yeah, uh, and what I think um, the the last panels of of that series stuck with me because it's one of those things where you know Colossus is this fatherly figure to the group, and the last panels where he basically makes that decision to save Ileana his sister, his blood over these children, which he's been, uh, uh, 
you know, kind of cultivating, teaching, uh, uh, teaching them all their, uh, their powers and everything. And that last betrayal is, um, it is by far, I think the darkest moment, I would even put that darker than, uh, uh, than Omega. For some reason, I, I just see that last betrayal as even worse than everyone dying, yeah. you know? Totally. But to catch us up to speed, right? We get alpha and the storylines. So, um, Bishop shows up and says like, you were supposed to die. Xavier was supposed to live. It's supposed to be this whole other world and not this one, you know, destroyed by apocalypse. And, um, it's believed that they could potentially change this world and move it back to the old one. Um, and this is before Marvel really got in the multiverse. So it's a little shaky at best, the storyline. So uh, so Magneto's like, all right, I got to figure out whether this guy's telling the truth. So he sends, you know, Kurt Wagner, which is a really great character in this, in this arc to go find destiny in the savage land and have his mom help him to do that, um, to be able to, uh, you know, find out from destiny. If like Bishop is telling the truth, he sends Gambit and the exiles out to, to uh, get a shard of the MCON crystal to be able to like open a portal and they need um, Ilyana Rasputin in order to open up the portal. Um, so that sets up a lot of the storylines uh, leading up to um, the culminating issue of X-Men Omega. And what a great place to leave off for this episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm Ryan. I'm Joshua. I'm Steve. This is Lost in the Long Boxes. We'll talk to you next time.